Hello everyone and welcome. Welcome back to Bible study. You know, it's been a long summer break and uh, we're back now. You know, I know it feels like summer was a million years ago, but it was only weeks ago and um, well, we're back now and for the autumn season of Wednesday Bible study. And uh, we are actually going to start where we left off and please don't let that put you off joining Bible study when you say, oh, I wasn't here for the other ones. I don't know where we're at. Wherever we're at, you can just slot in right there and you'll just, you'll just um, be on that Bible study train with us. So it's absolutely fine. Okay, well, I hope that everybody's well and I hope that, um, that you're ready for today. You might want to get yourself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, go get your um, notebook and your pen, and uh, yay, we can get started. Um, last time we were talking, we're in, we're in the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 8, and today we are in verses... 18 through 22. We're only going to talk about five verses today. I'm going to try to structure Bible study so that it's only 30 minutes. I want to try my hardest to do that. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I would like to do that. And good morning to everyone who's joining on with us. Good morning. Good morning. Please remember that you can watch this at a later time if you want to right here on the Family Church page or on podcast. A good friend who's so helpful from our church, is putting this on podcast. So you're welcome to watch it on podcast if you'd like to. And good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to everyone. And like I said, if you're just joining, we're in Matthew chapter 8, and we're in verses 18 through 22. And we are going to be discussing today the cost of following Jesus. Yes, there's a cost. Um, yes, our salvation is free, but there's a cost to following Jesus. Jesus, to being a disciple of Christ. Okay, now once again, I'm going to um, apologize in advance because my lovely Poppy, the dog here, um, is potentially could have a little bark if somebody comes to the door or something. And if she does, I will try to stop her. <laughs> hey, when it's live, anything goes, right? Okay, so here we go. We're in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. It's five verses. Let's read those verses together. I'm in the New King James Version. Doesn't matter what version you're in, as long as it's a version that you understand. We do not speak Old English anymore. So if you don't have even the New King James, all the Old English has been removed, all the, the yeas and the thous and the... So get a version that you understand. Uh, it could be the Good News, news Version, the Living Bible, the um, New Life Translation. The, uh, there's just so many. Just get one that you feel comfortable reading. That's the important thing. One that you understand the language. Okay. So we're in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. We're going to read those together. Okay. And in my Bible, it's entitled, The Cost of Discipleship. And when Jesus, excuse me, my hair in my mouth. Okay. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to de depart to the other side. He said, Ooh, the crowds, let's go to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Ooh, sounds like harsh words, but let's talk about what Jesus was saying here. Okay, so, so we start out um, in these verses that Jesus is having a conversation with a scribe. Now, a scribe was someone who, um, they, they always are talked about in, in um, almost like with the Pharisees. They write stuff down. They scribe. They, they you know, they're uh, working with the uh, Pharisees in the temple. And they, you know, they're, they're part of that whole team of people. The scribes, the Pharisees, religious person. Jesus is having a conversation with a scribe. And this scribe seems to be a disciple or follower of Jesus, wants to be, and wants to really be a follower of Jesus and wants to go where Jesus goes, everywhere Jesus goes, he would like to go to. Just like, you know, the men who, um, you know, like who, who were around him, following him, going with him, that Jesus was teaching. Uh, so he has this scribe who wants to follow him and Jesus responds to this scribe about what he means to follow him. Because the scribe says, listen, Jesus, I want to follow you. Where you go, I want to go. I want to be one of your disciples, one of your followers. And Jesus is going to respond to that. Now, we look at verse 18. It says, and Jesus saw great multitudes about him. And when he saw the great multitudes about him, it says he gave the command to get away from them. To depart to the other side. He said, come on, guys, let's get to the other side. You know, he took his intimate crowd, his, his 12, and he, you know, wanted to go to the other side. Now, Jesus wants to avoid this crowd, and he wants to cross to the other side. Now, this is unusual, because surely he would want a crowd. He's a teacher, a preacher. Preachers want crowds. You want someone to preach to. You want someone to teach, don't you? So to our senses... We read this and we think, well, Jesus, why would you want to depart from the crowd? A crowd is exciting. A crowd, you know, whips up a frenzy in a sense. You know, that they're, they're all ears. They're, they're listening. Why would, you not, why would you not want this? Why would Jesus want to depart from them? You know, and that what this says to me is that sometimes we won't understand what God is doing or what God is asking of us. You know, he, he may not always make sense to us. Like it doesn't make sense that a teacher and a preacher and someone who's, who's, who's come with a message wants to get away from the crowd. You know, today's ministries want to attract crowds. You know, they love a crowd, you know. Um, but we don't always understand what's going on in the mind of God. Um, and he won't always make sense to us. And we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, also, the wisdom of God, what's going on in God's mind, is not always going to make sense to the world, is it? It's not always going to. The crowd and gaining a crowd was not going to be the source of Jesus' greatest or most important ministry on this earth. And we know that, right? We know what Jesus came to do. He, um, his focus was going to be on his disciples because they were going to continue the ministry after him. These men that he was going to pour himself into, pour his teaching into, pour his heart into. That was what the focus was. And then he came for that moment where he was going to die on the cross for us and, and, and um, for all of our sins to be forgiven, for us to have a relationship with God. That was the point that Jesus was coming for. The crowds 
were not his main was was not his main focus. Um, he was going to pour himself into shaping these the more intimate ones who he was teaching, preparing them for a life of ministry. Jesus knew his mission, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't swayed by popularity. He wasn't. He didn't have a puffed up ego and need this crowd and need to be loved by the crowd. He didn't need the excitement of the crowd. Uh, and like I said, many ministries today judge the success of their ministry by the size of the crowd they get around them. But if like Jesus, part of his mission was to pour his teaching and his energy into the 12 people, that was like one of the, the main thrusts of his ministry, then obedience says that that was a successful mission. And any mission that God calls us to do is not necessarily going to be draw the crowd. You must get a church and it must be filled with hundreds and thousands of people. That's not necessarily what God has called us to. It might be win your family to Jesus, you know, win um, your neighbors to the Lord. I want you to reach out to that lady who sits next to you at work in the desk next to you, in the cubicle next to you. I want you to find a way to reach out to that lady. You know, one person, one at a time. It may not be a big crowd ministry because look, Jesus was trying to get away from the crowds and that's not the first time you're going to see this in the Gospels. He is often trying to get away from the crowd, um, get alone with, G uh, with God in prayer, um, pull his men close and private, shut himself away with just the intimate ones. There is a purpose to the crowd. And yes, we need to be ministering if we have that opportunity to the crowd. Yes, of course. But, you know, it's not about the crowd. It's not about the crowd. It's about whatever God is asking you to do, who he's asking you to reach. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That could be the lady at the grocery store. Simple as that person on the park bench next to you, you know, your best buddy, that one person that you really need to share the gospel with. It's not necessarily about the crowd. You know, we can be led by so many things and what the crowd could represent is this, that we could be led by emotions. Ooh, the crowd, you know, crowds whip up a frenzy, don't they? The applause, the wow, you know, this thought that they love me. Wow, look at that. They're gathering for me. Wow, of course, it could, it could really puff you up, you know. Um, so it can really play on your emotions. Um, it also could, um, what could lead us is society and what is acceptable and applauded. Hey, if you're gathering a big, huge crowd, society says, hey, look at that. I mean, just look at, at um, the internet. Look at when somebody does something like on YouTube or, or who's a, a social media, you know, um, guru out there, you know, talking about whatever they're talking about. What do you want? You want followers. You want, hey, click and subscribe. That's what you say. Why? Because a crowd is something that is applauded by our society. Hey, people want to hear what you've got to say. Ooh, that's nice. You know, that turns heads. That's what gets excitement. That's not what got Jesus excited. You know, and that shouldn't be what gets the Christian excited. Obedience should be what gets the Christian excited. Just going out there. It might be one-on-one. -on -one, and for most of us, it's going to be that. And that's good. And that's okay. And Jesus even loved that. Okay. We can also be led by what seems right to us. 
hey, you know, the guys, the Jesus guys were probably like, hey, Jesus, but there's a whole crowd of people here who want to hear you. There's so many of them. Hey, they might even take up an offering. There'd be a lot of money in that crowd. You know, even if everybody gave just a little bit, it's a huge crowd, Jesus. Jesus wasn't, wasn't led by the crowd. Jesus was led by, by the Father. He was led, he did, it's, he says in the scripture that he does everything he did is because the Father showed him to do it. Led by God, led by the Spirit, and we need to be led by God's Spirit. And know that sometimes we won't understand what God is doing or asking us. Sometimes society won't understand, our friends won't understand, even our family won't understand what God is telling us to do. You know, I've known many people who've walked away from very, very lucrative jobs. They made, you know, six figures. But God told them, I don't want that for you. I want you to walk away from that, and I want you to be a missionary. I want you to serve the poor. I want to the world. They'll look at you like, oh, was that a smart move? They may not understand, but if you are being led by the spirit of God and doing what God wants you to do, then you're being obedient and don't worry about it. You can't worry about the crowd. Jesus didn't worry about the crowd. We don't worry about the crowd. He was our best example. Okay, verse 19. So there comes this scribe to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to go where you go and do what, what you do, right? He says, I want to follow you wherever you go. Beautiful, worthy, wonderful. And Jesus isn't saying, no, you can't do that. He doesn't say no to this man. What he does do is he points out to this man. He says, listen, this is what it's going to require, okay? And then he puts it to that person and he lets that person decide, am I worth it? Am I worth it for you to follow me? Because I'm not, Jesus didn't sugarcoat things. He didn't make it all nicey-nice and say, well, it's going to be fun. It's going to be this. It's going to be, you're going to, you know, it'll, he didn't do that. He says this to the man. Um, he says, and Jesus says to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man, meaning himself, has nowhere to lay his head. All right. What does that mean? What does that mean? So he answers this man, just telling him, not sugarcoating anything. And he says, listen, the buzz of the crowd, it may stir our emotions. And this man was in the crowd and his emotions were probably stirred and like, oh, I just, I'm feeling all the feelings. And yeah, I want to follow you, Jesus. You know, I've been in crowds. I've been in big, you know, theaters where there's been preaching and and teaching and, and worship and lights and smoke machines. And it's been wonderful. And yes, it can whip up a frenzy and whip up the emotion. But Jesus says this, our emotions might be stirred by all of this, but, but following Jesus is going to require daily, daily faith. You know, it's going to require it every day, daily faith. Um, excuse me. You know, there might be an exciting crowd there. There might not be an exciting crowd there making you feel all the feelings. The situations that I'm going to be in might be comfortable sometimes and they might be completely uncomfortable next time. You might in one instance have everybody saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, bless God. And then in another situation when Jesus was talking, he might have had people spitting at him or trying to stone him or mocking him. And that happens with today, doesn't it? There'll be times when you go out there and, 
You know, you might have everyone saying, this is wonderful. This is so life-giving. Why have I not heard this before? And then another time you might hear, shut up. I don't want to hear this. You know, you freak, you know, you Jesus freak. You know, it'll be all manner of stuff. Sometimes it's going to be comfortable. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes, but whatever the situation, walking with Jesus is going to require faith every single day to trust God. Sometimes you might literally have a place to lay your head and sometimes you might literally not have a place to lay your head. Whatever God calls you to do. Maybe he might call you to something quite rural and missionary work. You know, and you might be um, living in a tent somewhere, you know. It has its ups and it has its downs, right, to live in a tent. You might have to be in that tent and you might be called to another kind of mission where you have a lovely place to stay and there's regular meals. But whatever it is, Jesus is saying, listen, to follow me means you're not going to know every day what's going to happen and what to expect. You know, foxes have places to lay their heads. Birds have nests to, to raise their young in. I don't have any of that. I have no assurance of where I'm going to be every single day. All I can offer you is a life where you need to trust God every day. And that might not always be pleasant. Because trusting God when the resources aren't there and you're trusting God for that could be super unpleasant. Like, God, I need that. I need money to go on this trip and I need to be able to pay these bills and I need to be able to do this. And I don't have those resources right there. God, I'm trusting that you've called me to do this. And so therefore you will provide and I'm trusting you on that. And sometimes you have to dig your heels in, in faith, while you're waiting, because we wait upon the Lord in faith, and boy, that is not a passive thing, is it? Waiting on God in faith is not passive. It's that faith muscle is just churning itself, you know, and, and, and trusting God and believing and trying through the word just to keep your hope up. and your. It's, it's not a passive thing, but it's a beautiful thing, and you'll be very blessed for it if you do it. Jesus didn't turn this young man, or well, I don't know, he could have been an old man, didn't say, just said he was a scribe. He didn't turn him away. He just says, listen, I'm just going to give it to you straight. You are going to need faith to be my disciple because every day is up in the air. I can't tell you what one day will bring and what the next day won't bring and what will be there and what won't be. But I can tell you this, you can have faith in God and that's what it's going to require. Okay, so um, people may misunderstand you and judge you as you do things that a worldly society doesn't think are important, right? You might not have emotional support for whatever God calls you to do. You know, even Christians, and I put, I say even Christians because Christians today are not necessarily, they've got letting a lot of the world and, and, and ungodliness get into their thinking. They put a lot of their trust of many Christians I know into, um, into their finances, into their job, into their relationships. Sometimes Christians will not put an importance on meeting with the people of God. Church is not an important thing to them. Meeting with God is their own personal uh, prayer time and devotional time, not important to them. And so a lot of times, even Christians can be giving you negativity about things God has called you to do. But if you know to do them, you do what God is calling you to do. You be led by the Spirit. You dig your heels in, in faith, every day, and be a disciple of Christ. You do it, because there is reward for that. There is reward for that. You know, when, 
when God finally does meet your need or comes and, and answers your prayer because you've, you've been believing him, you've been praying, you've been trusting, you've been putting your faith in him and that finally comes through, oh, there is nothing like it. You know, your heart will just rejoice in, in how God has met your need. You will be able to have testimonies that people who don't trust God every day, they don't have those same things because they're not trusting God for anything. They're trusting themselves. They're trusting their own strength. They're trusting their bank accounts. They're trusting their jobs. I mean, if the whole COVID two years of doing nothing and not able to work and all of this has taught us nothing, let us teach us that. Let, I hope it taught us this, that, the, that this world is so unstable. Our jobs are not that stable. Our finances are not that stable. I don't know if you've heard in the news today, but as of today, the pound, the British pound is dropping in its value like, like never before. It's, it's, um, we can't put our trust in money. But we can put our trust in God. Absolutely 100%. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, so you might have to do things that God asks you to do that may cause people to question you. Like Jesus did. He walked away from the crowd. He said, come on, guys, let's get away from the crowd. Um, I know personally people have done this. I personally have had to do this. Um, I, I know a woman who was living with someone, she was a Christian, she became a Christian, she was living with her boyfriend, they were not married, God put it on her heart to move out of their living arrangements, um, and she was questioned by, by people, even Christian people, because financially things were going to be harder, um, it was inconvenient, she wasn't a driver, so... Um, you know, getting around was going to be harder because her partner was someone who would drive her places. Um, and so, but she chose very bravely to follow after the Lord, to be the disciple that she was called to be and said, I don't know how it's going to work out, God, but I'm going to trust you. And she put her faith in God. And I've seen this person bloom, bloom in God. Like I've not seen many people bloom in God. She's amazing what, because she put her trust in the Lord. Okay. But there, you know, I'm saying it in the negative sense of what it is to be a disciple, that you may not have this and you have to trust God, but there's so many positives. Like I said, you're going to have testimonies as you put your faith out and trust the Lord every day as a disciple of God. Um, living by faith is scary to the senses, you know, to your senses, to your flesh. Sometimes, sometimes it's really scary, but you will get to see God move and faith grow as you practice faith. You'll get to see that. Um, where other people won't. People who are not actively living by faith in any area of your life, you know. Um, if you are, are living by faith, you are going to have testimonies. Your, your faith muscle is going to just be used. And, and after a while, you're going to find yourself not freaking out about things that you used to freak out about. And you're going to say, hey, you know, I know they've just said this to me at work or, or from my medical report, or, but somehow I'm calm. Somehow I know God is with me. I know I can trust him. Come what may, I will trust him. And you'll just find that having exerted that faith muscle on a daily basis, trusting God as a disciple, not knowing what each day will bring, but knowing you can trust God, that your faith muscle is strong. That's right. Someone's put, Liz has put this little strong arm emoji. Uh, and, and it's true. You'll get that faith muscle. Get strong. 
as you trust God daily for the little things and then eventually bigger things and bigger things till you are trusting God in a massive way for massive things and you are not freaking out because the wind and the waves are happening because you know Jesus is with you in that boat. Okay. Um, okay, verse 21. Another disciple comes to Jesus now. This is a different disciple. And he says, Jesus, yes. Um, uh, he says to him, Lord, yes. Uh, first, I want to follow you, Jesus. But first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus then says to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, those sound like such, such harsh words. Okay. First of all, you need to understand in this situation that um, he's saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. I got some things to do first that are very, very important. But you need to understand that the father, first of all, of this guy is not dead. He's not dead yet. Okay. Uh, what the man is asking for, he's, he's saying, listen, I need to wait until my father dies. I don't know if he was sick. I don't know if he was just old or, you know, if he was not going to be dead for many years, right? But he's saying, my father's not dead yet. One day he's going to die and I need to get to that point where I sort all things out for myself, his estate and the finances. Yeah, when he dies, I'll get left an inheritance and, and I'll be better off and I'll be able to follow you. There'll be a pool of money. But Jesus then says to him, listen, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. What Jesus is not being callous to this man here. He's not being callous and mean and saying, oh, your father just died? Well, big deal. Throw him in the, in the rubbish bin and come on with me. He's not saying that. As a matter of fact, that is, is so against uh, scripture. First of all, when someone died in the Jewish culture, they were buried like that very same day before the sun went down. So for him to say, let me bury my father, he would have been buried by the end of that day anyway. So he couldn't have meant you know, my, my dad's died this morning. Let me go bury him. In the Jewish culture, it's in a, like a, it's a done deal. It's done with, before like the day is out. Okay. So it definitely means that one day when my father dies, but what Jesus response to him means is this. Listen, listen, mister, we can't let the lesser important things of this world stop us from serving God. We cannot let the things of this life as important as they may seem and they may be important things. What this guy is asking for is not unimportant. It is important to do these things to when a relative dies to get them properly buried in an honorable fashion. You know, there was so much honor in the Jewish culture for for relatives and, and such things. Um, there was it's so important to make sure you work out all the finances and the estate and take care of all the relatives that need taking care of. Maybe there's a, a mom or a wife of this, this man who would need taking care of and would need the finances sorted out so this person could live. It's not unimportant, but it is less important than following after God, than being a disciple of God. We cannot let the things of this life, and we can put that on anything in our life, our own families, our own jobs, our own situations, that are important, and they seem important, and they are important, but we cannot let them hinder us from following Jesus. And that's what this man is saying. If you want, and that, that's what he's saying to this man, excuse me. He's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you cannot let the important things of this world get in the way of, of following me. 
because there's nothing more important than following after God. He's saying that. He's saying that, yes, they're important things, but they're less important than following after me. What things do I mean? Making money, getting educated, finding a husband or a wife, being happy. It's important to, to feel good and happy. Being comfortable. These are all lesser things than, than to be a disciple. It's more important to follow God than to pursue these things. Being comfortable, getting a house, building our own empire. You know, what Jesus is saying is there is more to life than the things that this world think are important. Followers of Christ have to keep in focus that there's more than this life, what we see with these physical eyes. Um, and that is because there is a whole world that we cannot see, the kingdom of God. And we can choose to live selfishly and say, yeah, but it's my life. But it's my, you know, future. It's, it's mine and have this my mentality. But we have to remember that as a Christian, what the, what the scriptures say about us is that when we gave our life to God, that it is no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. And we have to remember that my life now belongs to Christ, Christ and so does my body, my actual body. It's something that I, that I personally am challenged with, especially uh, every day when God asks me to do things. If there's something that I'm not particularly happy to do, because it might not be comfortable at night, it might just be like, well, you know, I don't want to do this. It's just not making me feel good. It's getting in the way of this thing in my life. You know, but I know God wants me to do this thing. You see, I know the principle in my head, but sometimes it's not in my heart. The principle of that I am not my own, but, but I am Christ's. That it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. Sometimes I can know this in principle, in my head, doctrinally. I know that. That's what this Bible says. The Bible says that it is no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. I know that fact with my head. I know that very well. But then all of a sudden, when it comes to me having to act upon that, it may not necessarily be in my heart. Okay? I read an article by John Piper called, You Are Not Your Own. And this was absolutely brilliant. This quote from there. And it says, Your body does not belong to you. Do you believe this? According to that scripture, your body does not belong to you. Do you believe this as a Christian? I don't mean doctrinally believe it. If you're a Christian, yes, of course, you believe that you are not your own. That's 1 Corinthians 6.19. We believe that, right? But I mean, do you functionally believe this? Do you carry it out in your everyday life? You know, when Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.19, let me read that to you. Paul wrote this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So he's asking it, don't you know this, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Paul wrote that. And he's addressing Christians here. He's addressing Christians on this principle. So if he's addressing Christians with this principle, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you were bought with a price and that you, you need to glorify God in your body? You're not your own. You can't just do what you want to do. You have to do what God wants you to do because you're not your own. So it's good to ask ourselves this as well in every area of our life that are, that are we not only doctrinally believing that I am not my own, I am Christ's, my body is not my own, it belongs to God, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, that, but do I also functionally believe this? 
Do I, am I acting upon it in my life, in my marriage, in how I serve in church, in how I give of my time and of my finances, in my kindness? Am I functionally believing what the scriptures say? Not just up here in my head, but in my heart. Knowing what God wants, but not living that way or obeying him is, is a clear indication that you functionally, that you are not believing it functionally, you know, that I'm not believing it functionally, you know, but the Bible says this, because there's going to be times in our life, and I'm coming to an end here, I said I was going to try to keep this to 30 minutes, so I'm, I think I'm doing that, because I want to make this really, really doable, this Bible study, and if it's longer, it could be difficult, so there might be times when it's longer or shorter, but I'm going to try to keep it to 30 minutes, I'm going to try to be a good sport about it, but what I'm trying to say is, uh, if you know that God is calling you to do something, asking you to do things, asking you to give something up, or do things in a different way, serve more at church, join a team at church, maybe be kinder to your spouse, um, maybe to be kinder to your children even, or to just whatever he's asking you to do. There could be a million different things God could be asking you to do. And you functionally know you are not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but I still have a will and I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to forgive that person. Or, you know, my husband just really made me angry and I'd like to give him the cold shoulder right now, actually. I don't want to be nice to him. You know, maybe, maybe that's because it, it's hitting you one way and you're saying, I don't want to do it. But if we are going to functionally, not just doctrinally, up here, believe the word of God, then we are going to need to come to our knees, humble ourselves, humble that flesh, humble it, put it in its place, that big old baby flesh that we have that always wants what it wants. You know, I want this and I want that, like a big baby. And we need to say, you know what, flesh? Shut your mouth, bow the knee. Jesus is on the throne of your heart. Your body is the temple of the actual Holy Spirit of God. Do what God is asking you to do. And again, as a disciple of God, this is a requirement because, yeah, we have a free will. But if you are a disciple, you are a follower of Christ, you are learning of Christ. And what he's trying to tell us, and this, even though our flesh wants what it wants, do we trust God that if we obey him, even against what our flesh wants, that you do that thing Maybe give that amount of money that you just, it's hurting you to give it, but you know you need to give it. Um, or uh, forgiving someone who you just do not feel deserves to, to be forgiven. Or showing and extending love and grace to someone that you would really genuinely just love to slap. <laughs> if you bow the knee of your flesh and say, even though my flesh wants to do this thing, God. I am going to trust you that it is better for me to obey you, that at the end of this, it is better and, and, and I'm going to trust you that, you, that we functionally obey the Lord. And I'm going to end with this verse in Matthew 10, 30, that says, He who loses his life for my sake, for the sake of Christ, will find it. Okay? And, and opposite to that is, he who... Um, thinks, oh, I found my life, um, and, and they find it in everything else except Jesus. 
right? It says they lose their life. So we think that people who are living for themselves and I don't need God. I found my happiness. I found my joy. I've got it all. But they're not living for the Lord and they're not a disciple of Christ. They're going to find in the end that they actually lose their life. And they are not going to, they're going to find that it slips through their fingers. At the end of the day, where's all their money? At the end of the day, what, what's happening to their relationships, their important relationships? They are ultimately going to find that their disobedience to God, if they're a Christian who's deciding that they don't want to do what God says, they don't functionally want to follow the Lord, they're going to find that actually in the end, they are losing their life. But it says that he who loses his life for Jesus as a follower of Christ, as a disciple, doing what God wants you to do, um, in spite of what your flesh wants, that we functionally follow the Lord, um, trusting him, that it's better to follow him against the will of our flesh, that we will find our life. Okay, you are going to find your life. You're going to find purpose. You're going to find hope. You're going to find joy that you didn't know was there. You're going to find finances that weren't there before. You're going to find opportunities and doors open for you that were not necessarily there before. Because God is honoring your discipleship, your follow. You're following after him. There are perks to following after the Lord. Yeah, you might find initially, I am losing my life here. <laughs> I am bowing the knee of my flesh. But there's more than meets the eye. And that is your whole spiritual life. And you know what? To follow after God means you, for his sake, you will find your life in the end. And ultimately, in the end, when we stand before him, Christian, when you stand before him, having bowed the knee of your life and followed him against the will of your flesh, and you come before him, you know, as Christians, we're all going to stand before him. And yes, all, if we don't find salvation in doing what is right every day, you know, like that's, we find salvation. It's a free gift. We do not earn that, but you're going to stand before him one day and rewards are going to be given out. And when he looks at your life, he's going to give you what well, it says. He who has overcome is going to receive that crown of life. You're going to receive rewards at the end of it all. And you know what? In that day, you are going to be like, I am so glad that I, that I gave my life for Christ in every way. I lost my life for Christ and did what God wanted instead of what my flesh wanted because in the end I found it and I found it not just in the life to come but in this life you are going to find your life in Christ your life is just going to be rich and expounded and big and beautiful he takes us to wide open spaces anyway I'm going to end there I did go a little bit over eek sorry I didn't want to go over 30 minutes but I did have a great week um just enjoy and I hope you enjoyed this talking about the cost of of following after Jesus because the cost might seem big, but actually you find your life at the end of it. Okay, have a great week. It's been wonderful being with you all.